0: Welcome back to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, 24 worship services took place this Easter weekend. From Thursday through Sunday, it was a blast. Whether you were with us online or in person, high five to worshiping our risen Savior together. In at number four, our open roof small group supports and encourages individuals with disabilities as well as their families and caregivers. Recently, a few of the girls took a trip to Misty's Closet where they bought prom dresses in preparation for a night to cherish, where they'll dance the night away and enjoy dinner and photos galore. High five, ladies, to more times like these. Here at number three, Rooted groups are past the halfway point, growing in what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Way to go, you guys. This high five goes out to everyone in Rooted right now. Here's to strong roots in God's love. In at number two, if you haven't already heard, our new song, No Matter, was released on YouTube this weekend. The song is a beautiful declaration that no matter who we are, what we've done, or what's been done to us, we matter. We're so excited to share this with you. So search One Church on YouTube to listen and share. And finally, up at number one, One Church is celebrating 16 baptisms over Easter weekend. People encountered Jesus and lives were changed. High five to new life in Christ. Death is not the end. The resurrection is real and new life is found in Jesus. Thanks for joining us for our high five and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one.
1: Woohoo! How awesome is that? That's really cool to watch. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus will say that to his disciples. and You know, that's a bold claim. Like, like stop and think about that for a second because maybe, maybe if you grew up in the church you've heard that a little bit. But think about that. You are the light of the world. He's talking to his followers. The the world, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. What I find interesting about that is Jesus doesn't ask us to be the light of the world. That's interesting. He doesn't say, hey, will you be the light of the world? Jesus doesn't command us to be the light of the world. He doesn't say, you must be the light of the world. What he says is, is that when my followers are walking with me, and when my followers are giving their lives to to follow me with everything that they are, then what happens is, by default, they become light of the world. So high schoolers, you're like, when, when you're following Jesus, it says when you're following Jesus, what happens is you go to school and like all of a sudden you're the light of your school. You're like, well, that's a bold claim. What do you mean I'm the light of my school? Well, that's, that's exactly what it means when you go to work tomorrow and like I'm going to follow Jesus and you're, you're going to seek to know him and walk with him and, and be like him. It's like, well, by default what Jesus will say is that you will be the light of the world. What Jesus will say in other ways in other places, John 15, he says, if you stay connected to me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected to me, you will bear fruit. So much of our lives are like, i got to try to do this i gotta try to bear fruit i gotta work really hard and jesus says no just know me just walk with me just follow me just trust me and what will happen is you will start to be like me and as you start to be like me you will by your nature be a light to those around you so i'm just gonna pray for that i'm just we all pray with me and, and as we get ready to launch a series called city on the hill father here's your church we are your church and Father, there's a temptation for us to try to, by our own strength, by our own goodness, somehow do things that it is only in your power to do. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you invite us to yourself. And Lord, for every person in this room right now, Lord, may we seize this moment to hear what you want us to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're starting a series called City on a Hill. We're starting a series called City on a Hill of being a light to the world around us. In fact, our memory verse is going to come from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and I've said it a few times now, and we're going to memorize it together. I was going to be on the screen here in just one second, and I'm going to ask that you just say it together. Say it, say it loud with me. All right, so here we go. As soon as it pops up, it's on its way. Matthew 5, verse 14. Okay. You are the light of the world. I'm going to, I'm going to say it, and then you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to track with me the best that you can. You are the light of the world, a city built on a hill. Hey, There it is! All right, here we go. You ready to say it with me? You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. There's something about the church gathered together. There's something about what we get to be a part of together. And I really do think that's what, what Jesus is talking about. So, so God's picture for Israel... Back in the Old Testament, God's saying, I want to choose for myself a people. I want to call for myself a people. And I want, I want them to know me and I want them to walk with me. And they will be a light to the nations around them. So Israel, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, not because necessarily of who you are, just because of who I am. I'm going to choose you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour my blessing upon you. And other people will look, look and see what I'm doing in your life. And they'll say, what is that? I want to be a part of that. And now Jesus is saying, now for his church, it's like Jesus is saying, I want to invite you to myself. And you will, you will be a light to the world. There's something about Christian community. There's something about how we live this thing together. And as we go through this series, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask us very specifically as God's people, as his church gather together at One Church Conquered, to say, okay, how can we explore this more? How can we do this more? Because it's in our relationships together. It's in what we do together. There's, there's power in the church. There's power in not just individuals, but like who we are together in him. So there's certain things that we do together as a church. That's what I'm trying to get at. There's certain things that we do together. We gather together on a Sunday morning. You're here right now. And you might be like, well, what is this? Like, I don't know. Like, this is a gathering together to say, okay, there's someone, there's someone bigger than us, and we're going to gather together in all our differences and praise him and worship him. And what will happen is the city of Concord can have the effect of a gathered people and say, what, what's happening there as God has started to, to move in our midst? And okay, there's something that they do together. We, what else do we do together? We sing songs together. If you think about it, in whatever the context, like, do we gather together and sing it doesn't happen in a whole, I mean birthdays, you, like you gather together and awkwardly sing through happy birthday, you're at a restaurant and you're like, I wish they'd stop singing to me, and uh, like all of these stuff that we do on birthday, we sing for birthday, we might sing Sweet Caroline at, at the Boston Red Sox, which is awesome, but we don't sing a lot. But we gather together as people, as followers of Jesus, and we sing together, and so there's something there, we pray together, we, as one church we we we. It's one of the foundational things that we do is we say, God, give me one person every day to share your love with. And you might be like, well, why do we keep talking about this? Why do we talk about pray for one? Here's why we talk about pray for one so much. The people of God are the evangelistic mechanism of the church. The beauty of the church is not solely a gathering together. It is the going out. We have this conviction that the Holy Spirit of the living God lives inside you. That if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And and you're different than me, and we're different from each other. And God puts different people in our different lives. And so what a better way to, to make an impact on the world is not just in a gathering together at like an hour or so on Sunday, but instead a going out and saying, okay... I am commissioned by God to be a messenger, an ambassador of his, his mission. And maybe I've, I've accepted this like wrong definition of what it means, what this means. But in fact, God wants to just simply use me. He wants to use my life in the life of someone else. And so what pray for one does, and we do ask you to, to, to do this, is it connects us to God. Because what it says is, okay, so, so in our prayer lives sometimes, oh, maybe this is just me. Sometimes I can get caught up in my problems and my lists and things that I want God to figure out for me. Am I the only one who sometimes prays this way? Especially when things are going really hard. It's like, God, I just wish you could fix this. Which is nothing wrong with praying that prayer. It's just if I'm not careful, I can get stuck in the me prayers for a long time. Whereas, pray for one, it connects us to God in the sense of, okay, God, what do you want for my life? God, what do you want to do in me? God, what do you want to do in the lives of the people around me? And what you start to find is the heart of God is for people. In fact, the heart of God is for people in so much that he said, I would send my son to die for them. So your classmates and the people that you go to to work with, that Jesus died for them as well. And the heart of God is like, I I want to go after the one. I want to go after the lost sheep. And and so the heart of God is for people. And so what what praying for one says, okay, God, I, I want to have your heart for people. Give me your heart for people. Well, what it also does is it connects us with people, obviously. So praying for one says, okay, well, who has God put in my life? And sometimes it's a family member. And sometimes it's, again, someone that you go to school with, someone in the cafeteria that catches your eye and you're like, man, I, I see that maybe they're hurting and that, that the hope of Jesus can speak to their life. It's, it says, okay, I, God, I, I might be deficient in my love but, Lord, I know you love this person. And so, Lord, help me to share your love to them. Help me to be an ambassador of your love to them. And so it connects us to people. And ultimately what happens is it connects us to mission. It connects us to mission because God's saying, oh, you know, I, I want to draw all men to myself. And so we pray for one. And so we say, Lord, please give me someone to share your love with. In fact, we all pray that with me? And, and pray it in a... a Let's just pray together. Lord, please give me someone to share your love with. It's this beautiful invitation. There's something else that we do together, somewhat unique to our, 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 our church, church group, you might have recognized. Like, we, we take communion every Sunday. And you might be like, well, what is that all about? And what, is, what does communion look like? And there's something kind of strange and mysterious about it. Like if you walk in, and I, I always think about someone like walking into a church the first time, like to church ever for the first time, and some, we hand them something like this. And, and maybe like we get used to it, but it's but, like you don't see this every day in life. And you're like, what, what is going on here? And like, well, that's the Last Supper. And you're like, well, what do you mean it's the Last Supper? Like what, what are we talking about when we talk about communion? Well, communion is this, this meal that we have together. And you're like, well... I'm not sure about the meal, um, but communion was this, this time that Jesus set aside for his disciples and ultimately for his whole church to participate in together. In fact, a week before um, his crucifixion, he gathers together on a, a celebration, the Passover, which is rich with Old Testament. Imagery, if you go read through the Exodus, it's all set up for what God is doing through the Passover. We can't go into all of that right now. But Jesus will gather together his disciples in an upper room. And he says, I've longed to have this meal with you. I've wanted to eat this meal with you together. And And then he goes on to say something like this, and we'll we'll look at it here in a second. He says, and whenever you do this meal, I want you to do this remembering me. And so there's something about us, even now in this moment, we're like gathering together, and you're like, Well, this is a strange thing, having a having grape juice and and this little wafery type of, what is this type of bread? like, Like given to us, and like, well, what is happening here? And Jesus is saying, I want you when you do this to do this in remembrance of me. And I thought about meals. And I thought about family meals. Because I think that is the Jewish imagery that's happening, is that meals are very important. Meals that we have together are very important. If you think about meals and memories of meals, like probably now, there's there's meals that come to your mind. When you think about, like, Thanksgiving dinners, remember them of your childhood? Thanksgiving dinners or, or Christmas dinners? Just let those images come back. Just let all the senses come back, the taste, the, the the people that were there, the 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 sights, the, you, you, you guys, the, the there was something about there's something about meals with all family gathered together, like that 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 we hold on to. And I thought about it even in terms of like when you're a little kid, happy meals. It doesn't just have to be holiday meals. It can be happy meals. You even remember, like a happy meal when you were a kid, and like you're, you you finally had had bugged your parents enough, and, and they're like fine, and you you finally talk them into like a, a happy meal, or or uh, you have kids, and you can share a happy meal with them. Only you've like learned, yeah, maybe this isn't the best. <laughs> like, I thought about meals. I thought about. Meals of family gathered around the table. And there's something to meals. And I don't, I don't know if I have words for what that is. But I think from human history, there's been something about meals. There's been something about sitting down and, and, and eating together. So I don't, think it's, I don't think it's strange necessarily... ...that Jesus with his disciples, he's going to sit down with them for a meal and he's going to, to, to fill it with meaning. He's going to say, I, I want there to be great meaning in this meal that you have together. And, and, and whether it's small, if it's, if it's like not a, a full-on meal that we have, like whether it's something small, it's not so much, I suppose, the food. It's more of like the... the acknowledgement of who Jesus is Of what Jesus has done. Of what Jesus has promised to do in our lives. That can meet us in this meal. That we take together in. And so communion. Communion connects us to God. Communion connects us in in some sense to his salvation. Not in some sense. In a lot of, in every sense. Communion connects us to the salvation of God. that, That God came to this world for you. And for me. And so in 1 Corinthians is where we are today. And in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 11, Paul's writing to a church who's struggling with communion, actually. There's a lot of things going on in Corinth, and so Paul will write them a letter. Paul is, is, is trying to help them grow as a church, and so he'll write them a letter, trying to bring a little bit of correction, because we need correction in our lives. Like We don't like it necessarily, but we sometimes need correction in our lives, and so things are going a little amiss, and so he's, he's going to bring some corrections. And, um, but, but he begins like this. Let's just read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. And so he's talking about this meal, that we're about to, we will by the end of this have this meal together, Um, but there's things like that could be helpful, like before we take this meal, to understand what it is, to understand that it connects us to God and his salvation, and so let's look at what that is. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, it's interesting that he would include that there, but on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and whenever you drink this cup, this is interesting, he says, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus will start this whole meal that... From church history, from from as far as we understand, from this point on, became like this. I don't know the right word. This institution within this church that we're going to have communion. So, what is communion? There's kind of a who, what, where, when, and why of communion that we'll we'll wrestle through. And you might agree and disagree. And and that's the beauty of the church. It's like okay, we might have different perspectives on this, but we're not going to let it divide us necessarily. So, so who is communion for? Communion is for everyone who wants to respond to the invitation of Jesus to come and eat. It's a beautiful invitation. It's, it's a meal that we get to celebrate in together, the, 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 the what is it, well, it's this, it's a celebration. It's a celebration, like I said, of what God has done, of who God is, of what he's promised to do, it's this, well, there's the why, it's this remembrance. It's not only a remembrance, because sometimes we get stuck there, we, we think communion is solely, Have, like, I, I grew up in all of this, like, and the table, there used to be a communion table up front it says, do this in remembrance of me. And I always thought this was this past event. I'm supposed to remember the past event? Yes, yes, remember the past event. But I realize that there's also very, something very present about meals. It's like, look at the people who are around you right now. So, so it's not just stuck in the past. It's like, no, there's people in my life right now that we get to do this together with. And maybe we know them and maybe we don't. But there's something presently that God is doing. So it's not just this thing we remember in the past, which sometimes, I, I mean, I used to do as a kid. I'm like, oh, we look at the past and look at everything Jesus did for me. Praise him for that. But there's also something present, but there's also something future in there. It's like, no, we're going to have this meal again. And it's not just going to be small, some small cup. It's going to be a feast on a mountain that Isaiah had talked about when all of, all of the peoples from all different places will, of all different backgrounds will come and have this glorious feast. And Jesus will say, we'll eat this meal again. And, and I think about the people who have gone before us, and I mean that in death. And I think about feasting with them. With Jesus there, there's something past and present and future. There's a why to it. There's a well, when do we do this? Well, you might notice as a church, is like we do this, we do this every week. So whenever you gather together, do this. So you have these beautiful pictures, you have the bread, Jesus will say, This is my body. Okay, this is the person of Jesus. And there's, (laughs) church history, there's all kinds of arguments about what happens, and we're not going to get into all of that. But essentially, God became flesh. And eventually, that, that God who became flesh allowed his flesh to be pierced for you and for me. He says, this is my body that's been given for you, which is a big thought. Like, that God would come and his love for me would take him to the point that he would die for me. That's, there's something beautiful there, there's... There's the the person of Jesus for you. God is for you. I don't know that we always understand that. Like when we get caught in sin. When we feel the guilt and shame. When we feel like we don't measure up or everybody else looks at us in a different way. That God is for you. That he's not against you. And so community reminds us of the person of Jesus. He says, this is my blood. The blood is, he talks about, it's, so we got, I like peas. I'm a, I'm a. Not the vegetables, but I do. Um, but I like alliteration, so there's the promise, of, there, there's the person of Jesus that the bread reminds us of, there's the promise of God that the, that the juice reminds us of. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. What are we talking about, the new covenant in my blood? There's the old covenant. If, if there's a new covenant, there must have been an old one. And there was an old one and the old one was the laws of God written on the Ten Commandments that no one could follow. As much as they tried, sin got in the way and it started to show us our problems. And so so Ezekiel will say, well, someday I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a a spirit that lives inside you. And and now there's going to be a new way to have access with the Father. It's not by your goodness. It's going to be by the goodness of God. And that goodness will be in in the person of Jesus who gives his blood for us. There's this all Old Testament promises that Jesus will fulfill and fulfill a new promise to us that it's not, by, it's not by your righteousness but it's by Jesus' sacrifice that you and me get to stand before God Almighty completely clear and free and without blemish And the old promise, what happened, it meant to bring life, but it ended up bringing death. And the new promise, Jesus says, is my blood now for you, no longer the blood of animals, now it's the blood of Jesus, the great holy lamb himself who's dying for you. And and so do this in remembrance of the promise. And I just said a lot in those words that we all could spend the rest of our lifetime thinking about. But then it's the proclamation. I told you there's peas there. It says, whenever you do this meal, you're proclaiming my death until I come. There's some weird tensing going on there if you hold on to that. When you take this, you're proclaiming present, my death, past, until I come, future. He's like, we're going to have this meal again. And this life is hard, there's highs and lows. There's ups and downs. But when we gather and we take this, we have this meal together, we're remembering that our God, our God is victorious and our God will be victorious. And maybe that's all you need to hear today is that our God is victorious and in him you can find victory as well. And so communion, it it connects us to God. It reminds us of his salvation. But communion also connects us to people. Communion connects us to people, his family, there's, We don't do this alone necessarily. It's not like it's wrong to do it alone. It's just it might be missing something only done alone all the time. And that is, we're in this with each other. And that's what the Corinthians are are struggling with. They're struggling in their human relationships. And I'll just say it. Like, are you struggling in human relationships? I'm not looking for an answer, but I'm, I'm looking for maybe a mental answer. Are you struggling in human relationships with other followers of Jesus? Like, th- that's what Paul will, will seek to kind of correct the church at Corinth is doing because they're going a little off the rails. Not so much, they would say, in their relationship with God. They're, they're going off the rails in the horizontal perspective. Sometimes we get the vertical right, but we miss the horizontal. And what will what, what, what happen is we get the horizontal wrong, it means something's wrong with the vertical. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but... If you love God, you're going to love people. Jesus said it that way. And the Corinthians, they're not thinking about each other. Let's just read it. Um, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. I know something about meals. I know something about family meals. Is They are great and they are beautiful, but that doesn't mean they're not hard and chaotic, Right? That doesn't mean that there aren't arguments. That doesn't mean that there aren't kids still in the basement who won't come up to the meal. That doesn't mean that there aren't some who are already eaten before be, before others. It doesn't mean like it's all working out great. It just means that family meals are beautiful, but they're also chaotic. Like, and Paul will say, "Well, before we come into this meal, we, we ought to consider some things." And he talks about, he talks about the relationships with each other. In Corinth, um, what would happen for the communion meal was it, they happened in homes, and it was usually the wealthier among the Christians who, um, who had the bigger homes that were able to have this feast. And so there was a certain amount of people who could fit in, let's say, the living room. But then there was larger groups of people that maybe could fit in, let's say, larger hallways or things out out there. And and so there was always almost a logistical thing of, like, how do you have this meal together? And what was beautiful about, what was supposed to be beautiful about this family meal of remembering Jesus together uh, as a family was... Was that you have all different classes of people. You have crazy people. You have rich people. You have poor people. You have, you have all, of these, all of this mix. Gathering together for this meal. In um, this great meal of unity. But what was happening in Corinth. Is the temptation is to give your wealthy friends the better seats. The temptation was for the wealthy people to show up a little early and they start feasting, they start eating. You got people in your family like this, like they're just going to eat and eat and eat. And then, and then other people are showing up and they don't have enough food. So there's this part in here that talks about communion, about anyone who takes communion in an unworthy manner. I don't know if you ever heard that. I used to like, try to figure out, okay, well, what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? Because I don't want, I don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner. And so, 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 so what does it mean? It says if you're going to take communion you must examine yourself to make sure like, you're discerning yourself and trying to figure out. And so what I always thought it meant and I'm not saying it doesn't mean this. I always thought it meant i got to make sure my life is alright before I take communion. i got to make sure i got to think about the sins that I, I've committed and I've got I to confess them to God and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Like I've got I to get my heart right before I take it. it I don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. I don't want to sin against the body of Christ and so i gotta get my, I got to get my heart right and i got to kind of review all of this stuff and like I said, that, I think that's a piece of it. But I'm not sure that's what's happening in Corinth. You see, when Jesus talks about the body, he talks about it in another way. He talks about it as the church. He talks about it as the people of God. And I think what Paul might be saying to the Corinthians is like, you are taking this communion, this meal together, but you're not actually considering the other parts of the body. You're not thinking about the the poor among you who are showing up and the rich among you have already eaten all the food and they've all gotten drunk and they're all here starving. And you're like, what? do we understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and united us all together? Are you not considering the, the body of Christ? And so I actually think it's kind of a both and that Paul's talking about. Like, how am I doing with the body? There's, there's parts that Paul will talk about if you, if you want to read the context of 1 Corinthians. Because like I said, my whole life, for, for, until like maybe the last decade, I always thought like I got I to look inward. When I started to say, no, I think Paul's trying to say, no, I want you to look outward. Because if you go back just a little bit in the chapter, it'll say like your meetings are doing more harm than good. When you're gathering for the Lord's Supper, it's actually doing more harm than good. He says you're divided when you gather together. You are eating from your own, you're eating your own private suppers. One person is hungry, the other person is getting drunk. You're humiliating those who have nothing. And then he says, now when you take communion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider the people around you. I want you to think about the poor among you. I want you to think about the broken who you're overlooking. I want you to, 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 because if you take this, this, if you have this meal together, without thinking about other people, without some self-examination in your own life, like... You might be doing more harm than good. And so there's some self-examining questions. So here's some self-examining questions. Is there someone in my life that I refuse to forgive? And what communion says is Jesus is saying, look, look, I have forgiven you. Like the beautiful blessing of following Jesus is is receiving his forgiveness. Like we've been forgiven by him. And so when we, we gather in this meal together with a group of people, it's like, is there anyone in my life? Like I examine myself that I'm not forgiving. Is there someone in my life that I think I'm better than? Is there someone in my life that I'm unwilling to love? Anyone who takes this meal in an unworthy manner without discerning the body. Now, is it discerning the body of Jesus? Yeah, I think so, in some part. If I'm not understanding what I'm doing, maybe. But I really think it's saying, if I'm not thinking about my brothers and sisters, if I'm not connecting to other people, then I might actually be doing more harm than good. And so communion connects us with with God and his mission, and communion connects us with other people, his family, and then finally communion connects us to his mission, his purpose. It goes on to say this in verse 31, but if we were more discerning, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we may not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together, Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. It's not solely about the food. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. Why is this so important to Paul? That's the question. Why is is this so important to Paul? Have you ever ordered from a menu and there was a picture? And you're like, I want that. You ever? And then you you get your meal and you're like, That's not that. It's it's like, what is that? I thought it was this, but this is that. And so I'm thinking, why is communion, why why is this so important that Paul dedicates like a letter to the Corinthians to, to bring correction? Well, if the church is meant to be a city on a hill, and we have this beautiful meal that we're celebrating that connects us to God, his salvation, and connects us to people, his family, and connects us to his mission, his purposes in the world, And what we are doing together is not a right representation of what it's supposed to be. The world comes and says, "I I don't think that looks like what it's supposed to look like. So I think the heart of Paul is, no, when you have this meal together, remember God. Remember what he has done. Look to the people around you and consider, like... Man, am I holding unforgiveness? Or, man, do I think I'm better than others? Am I withholding love from someone else? Like, discern what's, what's going on among the body and, and discern what, what Jesus is doing in your heart. And, and remember that we get to proclaim this and, and do this till he lives. And so we get to celebrate this now together. The body of Jesus. ...remembrance of the person of Jesus. Your God loves you. Your God loves you that he gave himself for you. And so we do this to the king. The blood of Jesus. Not... ...your ability to follow... ...a set of rules. But your willingness... To bend your knee to the lordship of jesus christ in your life and let him take the sin and guilt and shame and take on his new promise that in him you can find life and so we get to do this together we get to do this as people we take with me would you all stand Maybe here today, and um, I don't know. You feel far. You feel far away from God. Um, may you know that He is not far away from you. That He's right here with you to step with you in your journey. And if there's, well, and He wraps Himself in people. He He, he makes us family. And sometimes we do that well, and sometimes we don't do that so well. But if there's a way that your family can be praying for you, we would love to to be here and and pray with you for whatever struggles you might have. Dan's down here, and Lori's in the back, and I'll be down here. If there's a way we can be praying for you, we would love to do that. And maybe in your life you have not yet received, like, or responded to the invitation of God, where he invites you to himself. That he says something like this, I read this like three or four times this week, just accidentally, if you could say that. Though your sins are like scarlet, I can make them whiter than snow. And so there's this opportunity even now in this moment, before this service ends, or even after it ends, to say, Jesus, I, I want to step into your new promise. I want to be made into a new creation. And so if that's how God is, is moving in you today, then I ask you to not delay, but to, to come and give your life to him, to be baptized into him. It's a beautiful invitation. We all pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our past. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that sets us free. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our present. That you are here right now. That you are in our midst. That you meet us where we are. And Lord, we thank you for the future. That death is not the uh, end, that you've conquered death, that you've buried our sin, and that we look forward to your complete and total restoration of all things. And so we, we together as your church, we proclaim that. You are Lord, you are King, you are triumphant. It's your name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: I'm washed in your blood and I'm forgiven